Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's podcast, where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking with Carolina Junior and Major League Baseball reporter, Chris Cotillo. Unlike most college students, you already had a budding reporting career as a writer for SB Nation and MLB Daily Dish before you ever got to college. And that's pretty early to already have your foot in the door as a reporter. So was becoming a Major League Baseball writer always the goal, even as a little kid? Baseball writer is probably not the correct answer to the question. I'd say I wanted to be something in baseball, whether it be a player. Originally, I think every kid kind of grows up wanting to be a player, and then everybody has that moment where they realize that they're not good enough. For me, being cut from the JV team, that was kind of my moment of, wow, I'm not going to make the pros. Not that I really had any hopes, but I always was really interested in the business side of the game, whether it be trying to get in as a general manager or front office executive, and and then kind of started a Twitter account for reporting news and rumors and thought maybe the journalism track would be a way to get in as well. Did you really just want to be in professional sports or was professional baseball always the primary goal? No, baseball has always been number one. When I was eight, I won a contest to be the Red Sox biggest fan, which was an essay contest that my mom wrote an essay on my behalf because I don't think eight-year-olds are allowed to enter those contests, but she wrote about how when I was like three or four, we went to Fenway and we're doing a tour and they were wanting us to go inside the visitor's dugout. And I refused to go in as a three-year-old because the Yankees had sat there and I didn't want to, you know, curse myself with sitting in the same spot they had. So I think that was a big moment. And then my first game ever was back in 2002. Derek Lowe threw a no-hitter in the first time I ever was at a major league game. And then in 04, obviously the Red Sox won it and what I think is the greatest run in sports history. So it's just when you grow up in that atmosphere and all those things happen, I think baseball has to be the number one. So you already had this interest in baseball, but what made you want to create this Twitter account to track trades and transactions? I just was always, since I was really little, interested in trades and the trade deadline and transactions and just the business behind it. Because I look at it as one transaction in one singular moment can change your team way more than one game. And that has way more of an impact on the season, I think. So just free agent values and you know how a sport without a salary cap operates. All those things were always fascinating. So when I was probably a sophomore in high school, I started this Twitter account that was just basically a centralized source for baseball fans to look up news and rumors and what was going on. And I wasn't citing any sources. I was just seeing what was happening, whether it be team announcements or reporters saying things and then just tweeting things out. And after a while, some reporters were saying, you know, you've gained a bit of a following here. You have about a thousand followers on Twitter and it looks like you're reporting this news on your own because you're not citing. So you need to start citing us, which I coming into this completely blind as a 15, 16 year old, I had no idea how any of it worked. So at that point started citing, well, this happened according to Fox. This happened according to ESPN or CBS or whoever it was. And then after a while realizing, well, these guys have sources, they have people who are telling them this stuff and they had to start somewhere. And obviously these guys that I'm talking about are Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman, who are, you know, 50, 55 and have been doing this forever, variety of different places, whether it be papers or websites, and they've covered teams on the beat and had a variety of different jobs, but they did have to start somewhere and getting sources. So I thought because we're in an age now where you can get connected to people online and you can do it from your living room instead of doing it at a ballpark or at the winter meetings, I might as well really start to try to talk to people and started developing sources of my own. And then that led to me being able to break some big stories. And that's when really things all took off. As a high schooler, how hard of a sell was it to agents and front office executives to get information that you could actually report on? It's incredibly hard. And I think people don't really realize how hard the whole thing is because you have to 
basically develop a relationship with someone and not necessarily at a lot of times have anything to give them back. Basically, it's, hey, I'm 16, 17, 18, trying to break into this and I need your help. And if I don't get information from people like you, then I don't have a career. But at the same time, from the hallways of Algonquin Regional High School in Central Mass or my living room, what could I possibly give you that's going to help your career? So it's just a lot of really good people who said someone had to give me my break, so I'm going to do the same for you. Once you get one story and another story, then your credibility builds. People realize your value as a source who has inside information and someone who hopefully gets the story out in the right way. So what was your first big break? What were the first stories that started to build your credibility? There's really two that come to mind. Well, kind of three, actually. So the summer before my senior year in high school, I broke Jason Kubel getting traded from the Diamondbacks to the Indians. Not really a big deal, but people credited me for getting it. And I was on a Baseball Perspectives podcast in September of that year. That was when people started asking, you know, how does an 18-year-old do this and that kind of thing. And then once we got into December of senior year, over Thanksgiving break, I actually broke two stories within four days that were huge. At that time, Ricky Nolasco signing with the Twins on a $50 million deal. That deal never really panned out for Minnesota, but at the time it was a big deal. And then Doug Fister getting traded from the Tigers to the Nationals. Those are the ones that really, I think, solidified my role as an insider. And, And then the timing of that was perfect because those two stories happened within a week of me going to the winter meetings on a trip that was already scheduled. So those things happening my Twitter blowing up and people really noticing me. And now everybody who was noticing is going to be in the same building for a week in Orlando that year. So it just was kind of a perfect series of events where people could congratulate me in person and get to know me in person. And that I think was the real key to all of it. You grew up loving baseball and you were only really a teenager when this reporting thing came together. So with that kind of access to the sport and to the players, did you have any big fan moments early on? It's always hard when you walk in with a press credential and I think the moment for me was 2013 World Series was the first time I ever covered anything credentialed. So not a regular season game, not, you know, a Tuesday 1 p.m. game between a fourth place team and a fifth place team. But now, you know, while I'm covering the ALCS and the World Series and you're on this big stage suddenly, I was sitting in the Red Sox dugout just on my phone and I felt like someone plopped down next to me, just thought it was some other reporter or something. And I heard him say, hey, what's up, man? And I turned and it was Ortiz. And I was like, wow, that's you know, my favorite player growing up. And now I'm two feet away from him in advance of a World Series game, which, you know, they won, obviously, and just stuff like that. And then uh, a couple of days later in that same dugout had Trot Nixon and Dustin Pedroia, Mike Timlin, Pedro, a few of the guys from the 2004 team all sit down next to me and they were talking and kind of talking to me. And, you know, that's when I sit back and think a little bit as a fan, because 2004, I had no idea that 10 years later I'd be a reporter who had to kind of throw out my fanhood and I was I was the biggest Red Sox fan you could ask for at that point so I think those are the moments where it's really kind of hit me that this is kind of a pinch myself moment. So was it this reporting career that you really upstarted yourself that brought you here to Carolina? Yeah I guess that's all kind of a whirlwind looking back growing up my dream school and the school I rooted for all the time was Notre Dame. My cousin went there when Jeff Samarja and Brady Quinn and those guys were there and they were really good. And my dad graduated from a small college the same year as Brian Kelly. So I just, there was a lot and a lot of Massachusetts people just love Notre Dame. So that was always my dream. And then once this started kind of coming together and I realized that journalism would be what I wanted to do, I started having to narrow my focus to schools with the best journalism programs. Notre Dame, I don't believe has journalism as a major. So I had to kind of throw that idea out and came down to looking at some of the best journalism schools in the country. So I looked at Northwestern, BU, 
here, Maryland, Michigan State, and also really considered BC for their communications program just because, you know, I, I kind of also wanted to go to school in Boston so close to home and be near Fenway and all that stuff. So it was it was a really tough process and, and there was a lot of factors. But at the end of the day, I just kind of asked myself, would I ever be in Chapel Hill and wish that I was somewhere else? And the answer is probably no to that question. And, and now that I'm two, almost two and a half years in, I realized that I was correct in assessing that. You started this whole career kind of teaching yourself how to be a reporter and picking the skills up along the way. But now as a student at the School of Media and Journalism, are you learning to become a better reporter? Yeah, I've always said that I've gone at this kind of backwards. I've done the practical side of things first and then getting the educational part second, which is, you know, not the way a lot of people do it. So that made me kind of do some do some things that were maybe not the exact right way of doing them, you know, originally whether it be with sourcing or editing or some media law stuff that I've learned. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I have learned here that has been really useful. I'm right in the middle of all my core J school classes right now. So I think those will be really helpful going forward. But I think the best way to really learn something is doing it practically. So to have both the educational and practical sides of it has been really useful. But to be doing both the practical and education sides of this job at the same time seems a little difficult. Is it hard to juggle your reporting career with what you're doing in the classroom? It is completely dependent on the month. So on a, on a regular basis, August, September, October, I really don't do much. Maybe one article a day, one radio appearance a week, maybe two. So it really doesn't take that much time. Um, but once we get into, basically, once we come back from winter break, it's January and February are my busiest months in terms of school because that's when everything's happening. But I'm kind of lucky in the fact that the busiest months of the year for me as someone who covers the transaction side are July, which is the trade deadline, and December, which is the winter meetings, and June, which is the draft. And we're not in school for the huge chunk of those months. So it's really, in high school, it was a lot more difficult, you know, in December and and trying to get time off to go to the winter meetings and stuff like that. But it's been more manageable here. The only thing is, last two years, the winter meetings were during finals week. And this year, it's the week before finals. So that's just kind of really tough to balance all that stuff and try to move things around. And the worst thing that happened with that was freshman year. I had to take two finals on a Sunday, take a red eye to San Diego for the winter meetings, go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, red eye back, take a final Thursday here, and then fly home on Friday to Boston. So... That was a week of not a lot of sleep and a lot of stress. So let's close out the podcast by talking about some actual baseball. And the World Series is going on right now between the Indians and the Cubs. As a Major League Baseball insider, do you have any predictions of who's going to win the series? It's tough. I mean, it's it's just in the ALDS, I predicted the Rangers and the Red Sox to win. They both get swept. So I, I just think it's always smart not to make predictions. But on the spot, I think the Cubs are still the favorite. If you look at who they can line up pitching wise against Cleveland big injuries with Carrasco and Salazar both being out Kluber was hurt heading into the series it looked great against the Red Sox obviously so I think the Cubs are still the favorite it's going to be you know one of the stories of the century if they can win it just based on the curse and everything but the way Theo Epstein who was my idol growing up that's you know he grew up kind of near me and was the GM of the Red Sox by the time he was I think 35 so he is someone that I've always idolized, so I'm rooting for him to to get there. And obviously, the way he's built that team through a variety of different transactions is is really impressive. And I really enjoy watching guys like Chris Bryant play, and then a few old Red Sox I grew up rooting for, John Lester being one of them. So kind of rooting for them just because I'd like to see them get it. As a Red Sox fan back in '04, I kind of know what they're going through a little bit, and hope they can get it done. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast today, and don't forget to check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said.